in the name of the God of mercy and justice, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Good morning. We hear this dramatic story of Jesus this morning. Somehow Jesus had a way of making almost any event a teaching moment, and this particular event is dramatically suited to being a teaching moment. He's been invited to the home of a Pharisee. Pharisees are growing in their opposition to him, though some of them are his friends. He's really being called on the carpet. He's being invited so that he can be grilled about his teaching. And as these things go in ancient villages, the village knows that the, the prophet is there, that an important meal is taking place. And in the ancient world, one of the things that often happened is that the, the, the windows of the room are open and so the village is gathered around. So Jesus is not just talking to the Pharisees, the crowd is there. And the room is open and this woman comes in and she's a sinner. Now we're not told what her sin is. People jump to conclusions about that because sometimes people think sin involves only one thing. But we're not told what kind of sin it is. And she's weeping and she's cleaning his feet. And they say, if this man were a prophet, he'd know she was a sinner. Because their purpose in having them there is to test him, to judge him. And Jesus, as so often is the case, turns the tables on them. Jesus is a difficult guest to have for dinner. Uh, He apparently enjoys dinner parties, but you never know what he's going to say. And he starts talking about mercy and judgment. Well, he doesn't explicitly refer to mercy and judgment, but he takes it as a teaching opportunity to talk about two of the most important themes in Scripture, which is the balance of mercy and judgment in our lives. And it's not just about scenes like this. We have to deal with mercy and judgment all the time. We may not call it that. But how do we hold people accountable for behavior? Parent-child, friendships, business, in society, in the legal system? How do we hold people accountable for their behavior? How do we judge with right judgment? Now, don't be deceived. When Jesus says, judge that you be not judged, most people don't quote the whole line. It's, you be, be careful what your standards of judgment are, he's saying, because the, the measure you put out is the measure that you're being judged by yourself. So in another passage, he says, judge with right judgment. You've got to get judgment right. And in relationships, to get judgment right, it somehow has to be contexted in mercy. And Jesus is about to demonstrate this in this scene. Now, there's some pretty blurry ideas in our culture about God is all loving, and he just loves you so much he wouldn't judge you. I wonder what happens if parents never judge their children. We get a bunch of psychopaths. It's about right judgment. It's about how we hold people accountable and at the same time care about their souls, care about their growth 
Judgment and mercy go together. They're not opposites. They're not oil and water. Now, our Old Testament story presents us with a chilling picture of merciless injustice and God's judgment on it. Ahab and Jezebel preside over the most prosperous period in the history of the ancient kingdom of northern Israel. Jezebel's a a, a princess from Tyre, from Phoenicia. She's a Phoenician. Ahab is a Hebrew king. Ahab wants to expand his holdings. He wants more vegetable garden. He goes to Naboth. He says, "I'll, I'll give you a fair deal for your vineyard. But Naboth thinks there are more important things than money. So the fair deal doesn't tempt him. Why? Because he's holding on to his ancestral land. And as he understands the ethical code of Israel, he can't give away his patrimony. He can't sell this land outside the family because the land is part of the inheritance of the family. He says, I I just can't do it. And the king goes home and pouts, and his wife comes in and says, well, this is no way to run a kingdom. This is not the way we do things up in Tyre. I mean, the king has absolute power. You know, who rules in Israel? Stand up, be a man. Well, if you won't do it, I'll do it. And so she engineers the judgment on false pretexts of Naboth, and he dies. And Ahab goes to claim his new vegetable garden. And in ancient Israel, the king cannot rule without limit. There's no such thing as absolute monarchy because the monarch is always held accountable to the law of God, usually by the prophets. And so he meets Elijah. And he already knows that Elijah's trouble. He says, have you come to meet me, my enemy? And Elijah says, you better believe I've come to meet you. Because you have done this, because this merciless act of false judgment has been perpetrated on one of your citizens, you will be shown no mercy. And he predicts what then the story later tells us, that on this very spot, Ahab will die in the battle that unseats him from being the king of Israel. And not only that, and I won't go into the gory details, but Jezebel's fate is, in fact, worse. So that's in the background of the minds of everybody in this scene as Jesus is dealing with this woman. And Jesus brings both judgment and mercy, compassion as well as standards to bear, Because while they're sitting around seeing her actions, seeing her deeds, and imprisoning her in her actions, he's seeing her soul. He's seeing the person who has done this. And there's where mercy and judgment meet. He's not refusing to hold her accountable for her deeds. He knows she's a sinner, whatever that may mean. We don't know the details. Maybe she's an unjust real estate agent. Maybe she's an oppressive rich person. 
We don't know. Maybe she's a terrible gossip. Maybe she's a terrible slanderer. We don't know what her sins are. But he knows that her behavior is not great. And yet he's looking, who is this person? Who's the person who's doing this? How can I reach this person? Especially this person who's weeping, who's showing the signs of repentance. And here she is doing what my host didn't. I knew I was being called on the carpet because nobody greeted me, nobody embraced me, nobody said shalom, none of the servants, nobody showed up to allow me to wash my feet the way you're supposed to, to give me a nice fragrant ointment to put on my head so that I could come in all refreshed after my travel. They just said, oh, hello, sit down. We've got some questions to ask you. Have an hors d'oeuvre if you want. No, he's been called on the carpet. He's, he's being judged by strict judgment. Now, this is the way Jesus deals with people. And the passage ends with that funny thing at the end that he goes around the countryside with Joanna and Mary Magdalene and all these other women because he's dealt with these women in a similar way. So a woman who's involved in the court of Herod and all of Herod's injustice. There's Mary Magdalene, out of whom he casts seven demons. When he meets people, he goes to their heart and tries to draw out of them the goodness that can help them change their behavior. Now, these are issues, justice and mercy, that are part of our everyday life. You're a parent or a grandparent. Your kid's staying with you if you're a grandparent. They've just gotten their driver's license. They're supposed to be home at 11 o'clock on Saturday night. 11 comes, 11.15, 11.30, 11.45, 12 o'clock, 12.15. Finally, they haul in at 12.30. You say, you were supposed to be home at 12.30. In my day, there was a curfew in Detroit. Teenagers couldn't be out. What do you do? Justice and mercy. How do you hold the kid accountable in such a way that the kid learns? Not just, he's just being punished, but that there were reasons for his being home on time. So we can learn from it, so we can grow from it, so he can become more morally mature. We've just had a huge thing on the internet, in the newspapers, about this case in California of the swimmer, who assaulted the young lady, both of them apparently drunk, and then the judge's judgment in the case was six months in prison, oh, maybe three because he gets off on parole. The father says he shouldn't be punished for 20 minutes of action. The victim's letter is read in court saying, my life is permanently damaged by this. And there's a firestorm on the internet. Recall for the judge. Barred forever from competitive swimming. Now, I don't want to wade into the middle of that case. I just want to say that it's about judgment and mercy. And part of the firestorm is it seems inappropriately merciful to thousands upon thousands of people especially to other people of darker skin color who are sitting in jail for 15 to 25 years for the same offense. Because our criminal justice system 
people from the far right to the far left agree on this now. There's a swelling tide of reform for criminal justice in in this uh, country. Feel that mercy and judgment are not well balanced. And for so many people, especially more disadvantaged people, way balanced on the side of strict judgment. And even if we got the balance better, there's so little rehabilitative justice. There's so little trying to, to, to deal with people and help them learn and grow. I know people working right now in Hudson County, priest in this diocese, the former governor of the state, to, to deal with prisoners as human beings, to give them the skills so that they don't fall back into the kind of behavior that brought them under judgment. So it's not that we don't hold people accountable, whether they be our children or our friends or our spouses. How do we deal after the fight that's injured us both? That's a mercy judgment call. That's a forgiveness call. That's a how do we learn from this and grow better. Mercy and judgment are with us all the time. How do we want to treat the people we love? And how do we want to treat the people that we don't necessarily have tender-hearted feelings for, but that need to be treated with that balance of justice and mercy, which constitutes charity, and which makes people thrive, families thrive, relationships thrive, and communities thrive. It's an issue with us always. And Jesus today sets for us yet another example. Amen.